Welcome back to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only on KNews FM 98.5. This is your host, Stu Jenkins, and we are having a good discussion with Ryan Munevar with Decriminalize California, talking about their uh, statewide initiative to legalize psilocybin mushrooms. Now, before the break, Ryan, uh, we were... You you were talking about the federal IRS being the most significant uh, enforcer of um, collecting the taxes on uh, psilocybin mushrooms under the model you've crafted with this initiative. I, I guess that raises the question: isn't isn't a psilocybin mushroom still a class one uh, drug under federal law? Well, actually, to clarify a few things, to go back, not to confuse. Yeah. It definitely it's still a, a Schedule One substance. That's a rescheduling issue. At so it's a felony to grow level. it. It's a felony to possess it. It's a felony to sell it, isn't it? Under federal law, to do everything technically. So it's beyond the category of gray market, which is quasi legal. So it'd be local and legally available at the state level, but not at the federal level. And that's the same problem we have with cannabis right now. So that still screws up banking. Uh, because banks are FDIC insured and they don't want to deal with the Schedule One substance yeah. and lose that insurance. And then you also have the issue with the United States Postal Service because that's controlled federally. So you're still not going to be able to ship it properly. People don't understand but, how, how, how much of a problem that is uh, until you start to look into it. I uh, I, I just re-upped my, uh, my malpractice insurance. Uh, and one of the basic questions is... Do you make any of your money by uh, servicing the cannabis industry uh, and taking cannabis industry clients? And if if you do, well, they can't take your money. Or they can actually close your bank account if they find out about it after the fact, too. Seen that done so here. It's quite a hassle. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, but that's an issue there. And then as far as the taxation, basically work like this. Someday, if it was federally legal, it would be the IRS that would be the ones looking at the money just to make sure it's coming in. At the state level, it would be the state taxes that would just be checking in to see, like, okay, you're operating this business. Are you actually operating the standard business? And that that's something the state will just check anyway for any business out there regardless. But it's going to be the local city or county or the state of California that has to enforce these tax laws that are supposedly going to raise the money uh, in order to um, fund regulation of the industry, won't isn't that true? Uh, yeah, any money that would come in through that would basically go not into an earmarked fund, but into the general fund overall. So any sales on any of these products, period, would go into that. So if the state of California wants to use it to buy a, uh, a new park instead of um, funding um, auditors, um, they can do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, the other thing is there's kind of like a weird number you hear sometimes thrown around in Sacramento for how California works when it actually comes to the general fund. So basically it's 60-20-20. So 20% goes to enforcement of the laws, 20% goes to the nice things like parks and making sure we have clean water, and the other 60% actually goes back in through the unions, and that determines a lot of different government agencies of how they interact with the unions and business as a whole. Well, here, here's so, a question for you. Uh, is does this make it so that, uh, you know, the yoga parlor can sell this uh, psilocybin-infused candy bar to a uh, 15-year-old who's coming in to uh, 
the yoga studio? No, it has to be for anyone over the age of 21 in California. Who's going enfor- to enforce, enforce that, Ryan? That would actually have to be the local business practice as it is, just like who technically enforces it when you walk in through, like, cigarettes at a standard convenience store. It would be ABC. Or no, not ABC. It would actually be the ATF, technically, using local. But that would be something where if somebody saw somebody doing that, they would probably alert the authorities saying, yeah, they're selling products to kids under the age of 21, just like booze and cigarettes. But so only 20% of the money collected off this tax, from what you were saying, is actually going to go into that enforcement. That's a general rule for the... For the state. For the actual general fund. That's basically, you put money in there, the state does whatever they want with that tax money to begin with, depending on how they sliced up the pie and allocated it. Now, in Prop 64, uh, for instance, there was a provision that... um, there could not be any billboard advertising uh, on uh, state highways that cross the uh, California border or uh, federal highways. Um, and in fact, that was uh, the part of the election uh, code case that I handled here in San Luis Obispo County that got those billboards taken down. Is there any control like that in this initiative on psilocybin mushrooms to keep, uh, you know, young kids passing in their parents' uh, station wagons or SUVs from seeing billboards advertising magic mushrooms? No, there's no restrictions on advertising whatsoever. So it could be uh, advertised through the U.S. mail. It could be advertised uh, on radio and television. Is that right? Um, I'm not sure because technically... Some of that's controlled by FCC, so if the FCC wanted to come down hard on it, they could come up with their own determination. And then also, as far as local signage goes for any business, a lot of areas, for example, would come up with their own unique signage for cannabis. Like, for example, they would say, you can't just blatantly have a sign out there. You could have, like, a nice little tiny green cross, but it can't be lit. It can't be larger than, like, 12 inches by 12 inches diameter. You'll see different areas trying to come up with stuff like that. But we have no component in there either protecting or establishing any form of signage. Hmm. The only thing that we have is basically a warning label, which in essence is an awareness icon of the CA21+. plus. So if uh, one of the uh, purveyors of Magic Mushrooms wanted to come up with a uh, cartoon character on a billboard with, uh, you know, the, the uh, caterpillar from... Alice in Wonderland, you know, dipping into his magic mushroom, that would be okay for kids to see, according to the initiatives. I wouldn't say it's good or bad, but the other thing is... It'd be legal. They are gonna, it would be technically legal until somebody made a law saying it couldn't. Yeah. Okay. Now... Oh, but the other thing is, they can't use, just like with cannabis as an IP thing, uh, the intellectual property right would actually have to be open domain before anybody could use one of those things. But I think Alice in Wonderland is old enough to get away with that. It probably is. Uh, probably been used before. Things our listeners are going to want to know is is that you've talked about how this is uh, good for people because you won't have as many people going to jail for growing it or selling it or using it. Is Is it good for... Is there any evidence to suggest that legalizing psilocybin mushrooms provides any part of the population any benefit besides not going to jail? 
Yeah, there's a lot of people that really like to explore their own minds, and a lot of people, and I would say a lot of the research out there, it's not 100% conclusive, but it shows really strong indicators that magic mushrooms help with things such as depression, uh, especially people that are resistant to standard medications and procedures that just didn't work. If they're like super resistant to those sorts of treatments, it has shown quite a bit of benefit. Uh, also, for people when it comes to creativity and neurogenesis in the elderly, that seems to be very promising. But keep in mind, like a lot of different things out there have been labeled like in the holistic food and the health industry as like cure-alls, and 20 years later, they're still not really curing much. Well, yeah, so there was a time when uh, when uh, dentists were telling uh, young men, yeah, smoke cigars and cigarettes, it's good for the, for your gums. Uh, right, and then they also have, for example, uh, irradiated water. So, <laughs> oh yeah, there's there's all sorts of cure alls and snake oils out there. But from personal use and experience, uh, it's been life changing. It truly is extraordinary. So, even just small doses of microdosing seems to help people get through the day. And it's not like a the coffee buzz you get but it somehow like kind of picks up your brain activity and yet you're still able to, to relax in some cases. Well, uh, but it, there's, the other there's other cases, so. Brian, uh, uh, where, well, Alaska Airlines uh, passengers, there's 83 of them right now uh, who are just thankful that the fellow who had had magic mushrooms two days before he got into the, uh, the ride home seat uh, up in the cockpit just glad that other people were able to overpower him before he uh, killed them after he turned off all of the uh, engines. Now, I mean, there's there's anecdotal uh, stories about people on magic mushrooms doing really dangerous things for themselves and others, aren't there? Yes, there are, and so here we'll get into that. Back in the day, a lot of that was technical propaganda. What happened with the gentleman on the airplane there was a lot of things going on. He was depressed for six years, still allowed to fly by Alaska Airlines. One of his friends had recently just died. And the thing is, if you take magic mushrooms, they basically 65% of the material... Well, Ryan, we're, we're coming up on another one of those hard breaks. I'm sorry. We're going to continue talking about uh, the pilot in, on the Alaska Airlines right after this break. Folks, you're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. Stay tuned.